Yo, everybody, welcome to Talking with Apple's podcast, where we talk about everything mobile development. I'm your host, Apple's Pajapples, or just PJ. And on this episode of the podcast, we'll be talking about machine learning on mobile. Let's take it away. So welcome to today's podcast. Um, Today we have Roy. He's a Google developer advocate on the machine learning team. And today we're actually going to be talking about machine learning. Uh, welcome, Hoy. Yay! Thank you, VJ. It's really great to be here. I want to be in South Africa with you. Yeah. At some point, hopefully, um, you will be able to come again once we um, we can all travel again around the world. Um, yeah. Okay. I can't ask an invite. Uh-huh. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Listen to this podcast. Definitely. You know, this is my invite to South Africa. Um, well what we do have we do have great conferences around here so definitely at some point you should definitely CFP for um, a conference out in South Africa sounds great awesome so today we'll be talking about uh, machine learning on Android Uh, and Roy is going to kind of help us go through a few topics Um, so we kind of I kind of want to start so I think a lot of people know what machine learning is um, I hope, but maybe for some listeners that don't know what machine learning is, maybe we can start off like what it what it is, um, and and then maybe we can then segue into um, how it fits into Android. Yeah, so that's a that's a great question to to, to start with. Um, so if we compare machine learning with the traditional programming model, with the traditional programming model, we go, hey, here's some data, here's some code that we have wrote, the programmer and then output like a result, a set of results. Um, but sometimes those rules that we write are really hard to come by. So think about uh, the, the example that I often use is activity detection. It's like running, uh, biking, et cetera. You may be able to go, hey, just use the speed. But what if you want to detect playing tennis or playing golf? Then that suddenly kind of throw your whole model into disarray if you only use speed as being the the defining factor for you know the, uh, the differentiating different activities. So machine learning helps by turning the model on its head and say, hey, let me show you some data, the input data, and let me show you some results because I, I've marked those results. And then why don't the machine come up with the rules using essentially statistics and, and, and go, hey, these are the rules. And then after that, after we have learned those rules, then the um, then we go back into traditional programming kind of, uh, uh, kind of route where we go, hey, here's a set of rules generated by machines, and here's the real-life kind of activity, gyroscope, accelerometer, reading. Tell me what the user is doing. Is he uh, or she kind of playing tennis? Is, are they doing bowling? You know, tell me what they're doing. And, um, and, and so th- these kind of... Um, technique is especially helpful uh, with some of the activities that are a little bit less structured, things like words, things like image, things like uh, if the input is from your gyroscope or your accelerometer, things that are not structured. Um, and, and I would kind of also strongly encourage your developers and your listeners to, to also consider the other way, which is, hey, I've already got the data in the table. 
then use it because that is the simplest way to to get uh, kind of data and analysis going. Um, and you don't, you know, in a lot of cases, you, you you would not need machine learning and the traditional programming kind of paradigm serves really well. And that's why, you know, we are all here. Um, yeah. But in, in some of those kind of new cases where, where we can really differentiate is uh, kind of, it is basically those those uh, scenarios where you're capturing data from real life is not structured, and uh, and those can really help. So that's why kind of good machine learning and why machine learning is you know a good technique to explore in some of the circumstances. And then coming to your second part of the question is like, hey, why should we do on Android? Um, and I take that uh, question as, hey, why should we do on device? So there 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 is two ways to use machine learning. Uh, on Android. So one is actually via the cloud. So for example, a lot of the recommendation engine that you might build and say, hey, uh, you've read this article, the next article you should read is X. Then those could be done in the cloud. And you know, and and uh, other things like you know product suggestions, because you will know in the cloud what is available, what's the latest pricing of you know that product. So it kind of makes no sense to, to put it on a device. Um, but on the other hand, there are other things that you want live experience for the user, uh, or um, uh, so that that's basically you know low latency. Or for example, pri for privacy reason, you don't want to send um, things over. So another example is uh, let's say I want to pay by credit card and I want to register a credit card, and when I'm uh, registering. Uh, quite often nowadays is, you know, people, uh, the, the app will ask you, hey, why don't you take a photo of your credit card and we'll read the credit card number for you. And that's fantastic. At the same time, I don't want my messy living room kind of to be sent over to the app company <laughs> and say, and judge me on, you know, how, how messy my living room is uh, while I'm scanning the credit card. So it'd be great if all that processing is done on device. Um, yeah. and, um, and, and that, they, they can really kind of help in a couple of scenarios where, uh, you know, pictures being one, another one is uh, things like smart replies. We kind of don't want uh, uh, Google to know kind of what we are talking about in another app. It's like, you know, hey, why don't we just do this on device and, and your conversation is not sent to Google. It's like, great. Um, and um, so there, 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 there is a lot of kind of uh, those kind of, advantages and user experience um, that we can build um, that, uh, if, that that is only possible if we do it on device. Okay. Um, and that's actually great because you mentioned um, a few things there. Um, you mentioned smart reply. Um, you mentioned um, stuff like credit card recognition and all of those type of things. I mean, I think from a, from a standpoint, if I'm trying to um, take a photo of my credit card and do some credit card recognition, I also don't want it to be sent over a ser onto a server to kind of be processed because, I mean, it's privacy, uh, private details. Um, at the end of the day, and someone could maybe steal your credit card details and try purchase stuff um, on the server, or like if it goes through some kind of server. Mm. Um, so obviously on-device is pretty great for that. Um, but you also mentioned stuff like smart reply. Um, and that kind of like once um, brings me into the whole ML kit um, product. Um, so... Maybe we can just explain, um, firstly, what MLKit is, but also from a standpoint, um, recently MLKit had some changes where it used to be a product that was part of Firebase, 
Um, and now it's kind of moved as a standalone product. Um, maybe we can speak a little bit about that transition and why, um, why that actually happened. Sure. Um, yeah, that, that's, a, that, that, that's a great question. Is like, you know, hey, it was working so well, you know, getting great review, the, the, the number of uh, users and developers is going up. You know, why change? Um, so, so we can definitely get to that. Uh, let me take a step back and, and basically you know, talk about the first part of your question, which is what MLKit is. So MLKit is um, Google's machine learning SDK uh, for mobile. And it supports both Android as well as iOS. And it's built on top of uh, TensorFlow. And it provides a very easy to use way for developers that don't uh, uh, basically have uh, machine learning expertise to tap into the best uh, Google kind of models and expertise in these areas um, in very easy to use uh, kind of Java slash Kotlin um, APIs or I guess on the side. And um, so all of that is uh, all packaged up and you don't really need to know the underlying um, machine learning kind of algorithm or logic in order to use it. Uh, one thing that we do recommend, though, is that even though the, you know you don't need a say a PhD to to use this, um, the what is inherent, and we may get into this you know later on in the, in the podcast, is around uh, machine learning design. Um, because in the if we think back to what, what I said at the beginning, which is you know in the traditional programming sense, you have a you know, if else statement or select case statement, and you test every single one of those, of course. Um, so it is very deterministic, and it is very easy to, to, to think about the different ways that things can go wrong and mitigate against that and take care of it, uh, all the edge cases. With machine learning, even with kind of MLK, it's slightly different. It's, um, you know, the, the input and the output might not be completely what you expect. So there, there is uh, more of a nuance to on developers to after they uh, after you have implemented it to go back and think about even though that you know those apis are very easy to use does the user flow make sense um does the result in the real world generated real world result match what you expect because this, this is not like a hey there are five tick boxes they can't pick the six um, yeah. with machine learning there is like a million tick boxes and you just if you only code against the first four then you are in trouble. Um, so yeah. kind of really think about some of those kind of edge cases uh, as well. So that's kind of the the, the MLK, the very easy to use APIs, but at the same time, kind of think about your user experience. And then the uh, second part is about um, why do we do the change of kind of separating from from Firebase, and um, and also what what is the new landscape now? You know, where are all the functionality? So um, Back, I think, two, three years ago when we first launched uh, MLKit, uh, we have uh, a large number of APIs which also have both on-device and cloud version. So pick an example. Yeah. For example, with image labeling, we have an API that go, hey, if you want to use it on-device, we can you know, download a model on the, on, on the user's device and do image labeling for you, and that have 400 categories. But if you want something that's richer, that have 10,000 categories, then you can use the cloud version. But of course, when you use the cloud version, because you're using Google's kind of data center resource, 
will need to charge you after a, a certain amount. And that caused a lot of confusion with developers. It's like, wait, you asked me to sign up. And even though I haven't put in a credit card against my Firebase account, are you suddenly going to charge me? And um, and it was totally not our intention. So we we only want to charge credit developers, that, uh, or at least for Evercade, we only want to charge developers if they use Google Resource. Um, but if you're downloading the model onto the user's device and it's the user's device that's doing the processing, then yeah. our thinking is we wouldn't be charging developers. But that kind of message got lost. And the and, yeah. and for some of the APIs, it's, uh, it's only available either on device or um, or in the cloud. And that also caused, a again, more confusion. For example, the landmark API, because the, the model is relatively large, we can only serve it through the cloud. So there's no equivalent yeah. device version. Um, and then finally, the, the, the user experience. Um, because if you only need to use it on device, um, then you know, like I said, you are not using kind of Google's data center. So hey, we kind of don't need to log it against your account. And then also the yeah. more that we ask people to sign up, then people have this thinking that, oh my God, Google is kind of taking, kind of making connections and all this data, kind of connections. <laughs> like, no, that's not what we're doing. Um, so uh, so it, it also kind of adds to that. And then thirdly, is just the developer experience of getting through more steps. It's like, uh, you know, sign up. And and I know that we've improved kind of the experience a lot with Firebase sign up, uh, but I, I still kind of get the odd, you know, the Google.json file is not recognized. As, you know, the, the, the Firebase app is <laughs> not started um, kind yeah. of error. Um, I mean, it, it is very easy to solve now compared to kind of two years ago. But it's still like yeah. a, an extra step. Um, so, so what we decided is that we will separate out the on-device functionality, and that is the Google ML Kit now. Um, and then the second piece, where all the previously cloud-based API, including, uh, for example, the landmark detection, the image labeling, and also the model serving, which um, again is tied to the developer's account that will continue to be part of Firebase. And the new product there is called Firebase ML. Um, so we, we basically just we just say, hey, which part runs on device? That's ML kit, and you don't need to worry about yeah. being charged for using it. And then on the other side, we have uh, Firebase ML, which is a very powerful set of APIs that runs um, using kind of like Google's infrastructure. And um, and yeah, and, and so that that's basically the split. Uh, MLKit and Firebase ML. From a from a point of view of, um, so with with Fire with Firebase itself, like I always got confused. Um, like I think you mentioned it actually. Um, I got confused by the the whole situation with um, having to sign up and having. I think a lot of people actually got confused with the sign up part on Firebase um, to use a model that needed to be off that was kind of offline. So now you're kind of like linking this to a Firebase product. Um, I think I think that that's kind of where that um, whole confusion mm -hmm. came in. Um, and I think you, um, like you mentioned it really well, you kind of just want people to realize that they don't need a Firebase account in order to use these models offline, um, unless it's linked to your actual Google account, um, which is great. Um, but then also something that you mentioned um, was some of the cloud 
the, the cloud features. Um, and I know that Firebase is obviously backed by Google Cloud in the background. Um, and some of the features that recently also came into, um, into Firebase, let's say, were um, the, well, there's Firebase AutoML Edge, um, where you can create custom machine learning models. Um, but you can also, within Firebase, you can also serve your, your TensorFlow models dynamically um, to your Android application. So maybe we can talk a little bit around those, um, those two products um, yeah. that allow us to obviously dynamically serve, um, but also to create custom machine learning models um, for our Android app where, where MLKit doesn't serve us correctly. So if I have a, uh, my dog's running around, I want to recognize what kind of species it is, um, and MLKit doesn't have a, a label for that, um, but I want to help it um, um, and create my own model. Like I know that um, AutoML Edge can help us with that. Um, can you maybe just chat around that and how that works? Sure. Um, so let's let, let's talk about uh, kind of the uh, uh, how how I would structure kind of taking the example that you that you described is like, hey, a dog just walked past. I want to tell the the, the species of that dog. Uh, Let's chat about that particular example, and then and I yeah. can illustrate basically how everything fits together. Um, so, with the uh, Firebase uh, AutoML Vision Edge, what we have there is uh, you can upload a um, bunch of photos of different dog species along with their labels, and this is all GUI based. So, don't you don't need to kind of learn Python uh, or kind of additional programming syntax. You just kind of upload the uh, uh, the, the photo to, to Firebase and, uh, alongside the label, and then um, choose the amount of processing power that you want to spend. Uh, I think that there is a kind of feed here that, that enable you to do that. And then also, you, you know, what kind of model do you want? You can have a um, more accurate model, but larger, and, and you can choose kind of the, the, the trade-offs, uh, et cetera, with, uh, with Firebase. And, um, and, and then you just, you just let it run. Um, in the in the Google Cloud kind of training platform, and um, and it will I'll pop a TF Lite uh, file, the Tensor Lite uh, file that contains the machine learning model, and you can do two things here. One is um, just download the model and just include it in your uh, Android kind of APK, or alternatively, uh, like you said, you know there is a there is another offering from um, from Firebase which is uh, the model serving. Um, side where you could just go, hey, make this model available for model serving for my app. And um, the advantage of using kind of Firebase model serving is if you are already using other parts of Firebase, for example, to do A-B testing, then that fits really well. Then you have the whole setup there. It's like, hey, I've got five versions of kind of doc detector here, and uh, I want to roll it out to different uh, users and see different cohorts and see how, how it all works. Um, then that's fantastic. You know that, that that is basically one way to do this, and um, and then the um, I would also highlight that you know there are other ways to do this as as Android developers. Um, so for example, with uh, TFLi uh, files themselves, um, you can actually just use the new dynamic asset uh, pack, uh, yeah. which means that you can actually download uh, quite a large uh, TFLi file. Uh, for free, because the um, uh, uh, to take a step back, dynamic asset downloading for uh, for Google Play um, was designed 
for gaming. So when you when you're like, hey, I'm now at the next level. Let's download that those assets, and those assets tend to be quite large. It's like we're we're talking about a couple hundred megabyte, maybe even a gigabyte large uh, type asset pack for games. And so that that that, that is basically where that uh, infrastructure and API comes from. Uh, but now with machine learning, some of the models are also getting quite large. So for example, one of the um, Y model that Google Research published uh, containing 400,000 wine labels. Um, uh, it's a very large classifier. It's about 130, 140 megabytes. Um, previously, this kind of model can only run uh, in the cloud because actually it would be a lot more than 140 megabytes. And we, we, we might even talk about gigabyte kind of size models. They've now managed to get it down to 140, but that's still pretty large, you know. As, as all the Android developers on your um, uh, on your show would know, and and so one of the ways to serve that is actually to to put it into uh, the Google Play asset pack, and and basically using App Bundle to serve it uh, as well. So that's basically how it works. Um, so to take a step back to sum up, you know, you can train the model using. Um, the Firebase ML, uh, AutoML Vision Edge, and then it will uh, output a model. Uh, that model is actually tend to be quite small. We're talking about single-digit megabyte, um, and maybe even low single-digit megabytes. And then, um, and then the uh, the way to serve it is either via the Firebase ML uh, model serving, or you can bundle with your app, or you can use kind of the Google Play delivery uh, service, dynamic delivery service. Um, and then, just as a bonus point. <clears throat> to add to your scenario of kind of the, the dog uh, 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 kind of detector is that in addition to using the uh, image identifier, um, you can also actually pre-process the image using uh, object detection and tracking with MLK. So what a problem in, in, in some machine learning kind of real-world use cases, if we have a lot of objects in the scene, so... Um, if we think about, for example, in supermarket, you have a you have a massive shelf with a hundred or tens of different products. It's very difficult for the uh, for the machine learning uh, or for the uh, for the model to decide which of the product are you talking about. And as a result, you might have a quite a high uh, failure rate to detect the correct object. But if you crop the image to just the thing that you're looking at, then the accuracy will go a lot higher. So in this, in the case of the dock detector, then what you probably do is you would try to cut down the image, the input image, to just the dock itself, so that you know if a cat run past, that wouldn't be counted as part of the image, or if another dock run past, that wouldn't be counted as part of the detection, and just send that one dock to the um, to the object identifier. Then in that case, you can get a much higher um, uh, accuracy without actually retraining your model, without kind of doing three PhDs to say, hey, how do I cut down all the background noises, <laughs> et cetera. And it's a very kind of simple way to improve. Okay. Yeah, and that's actually interesting. Like, I didn't even know that you could use um, the Google Play um, asset um, delivery for your models also. Um, that's actually thing, something that I'll definitely look at um, after this because... Um, that's a pretty interesting way um, of thinking about it. Um, I thought that um, pretty much using using your um, using TensorFlow would probably be the be- not TensorFlow using Firebase would probably be the best um, option. 
um, in terms of serving the model because they also have an SDK that kind of wraps it really well. Um, but I think with obviously um, dynamic asset delivery, um, that's also really cool. Um, I'm guessing at that point, then you would have to kind of use the um, neural network API to um, to interact with that model, um, or would or would it work um, really? Would it work with the new Android um, ML binding um, tool that's inside of Android Studio? So I know recently yeah. in the the latest Android Studio, um, there's a new um, binding plugin. Yeah. Um, I think that's what it's called, and I yeah. think so. Would, would that kind of work together with the with the um, dynamic delivery, um, or how how would that actually work? Um, how would you um, interact with that model once you've actually downloaded it? Because, like I said, Firebase kind of gives you an SDK for your remote um, model, and they kind of do this wrapping for you. Um, but now you're kind of delivering a raw model to the to the device. Um, so yeah, yeah. So um, I would. Um maybe highlight a couple of offering there um, because there, there, there are kind of different advantages in terms of using different products. Uh, so another thing that I want to highlight with the recent uh, MLKit uh, launch is that we now support custom model or custom, ident uh, custom image identifier uh, or custom image classifier um, in both uh, object detection and tracking as well as image labeling. So um, you yeah. could just... Um, in 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 my case, what I did was I uh, I used that together with the play uh, dynamic uh, asset delivery because in the play asset uh, dynamic asset delivery, what you do is you can uh, put the model under the asset directory in a separate module and just mark it as oh, yeah. let's say asset pack, and and yeah. then you can refer to it like that is in your asset directory in the conventional sense. So that works okay. really well with the MLK yeah. um, offering. If you are going to um, use the ML uh, model binding, I might suggest that you you, uh, you you basically create a separate module and then use the and then bundle both the kind of image analysis code as well as the uh, the model the model itself into that module so that is kind of singularly singularly packaged. And yeah. um, and then you can just download the entire module. So maybe the two things work slightly differently. So with asset pack, then you will uh, then you will probably use something like the MLKit uh, offering where you just point it at model and it works. Uh, with model binding, because they generated code that um, uh, actually let me take a step back and introduce ML model binding kind of uh, yeah. properly. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like you said, you know the the new. Uh, Android Studio 4.1 um, uh, at the moment beta, but it could be kind of final, you know, hopefully in the not this too distant future. And we introduce a, a new functionality uh, called ML model binding, like you said. And what it does is uh, you can now uh, right-click essentially on the module where you want to add the Tensor Light model, and then just go to new, you know, where previously you have, you know, things like activity, etc. Now you can go, hey, new, other, and then go tensile light model. And you just click through and just go, hey, this is a tensile light model that I want. Um, you know, from your own file, you know, file system, it would then copy it over together with all the imports um, that, um, that that is necessary, uh, all the Gradle build kind of uh, dependencies. And the final bit of magic that it does is it actually generate a bunch of code kind of in the background to do the actual wrapping of the model. So you don't need to uh, 
interact with what we what we used to call tensor, which is a bunch of byte array that goes in and out that mm-hmm. is super easy to get wrong. I know because I I, I have got it wrong <laughs> so many times. And then when you have yeah. you know a quantized model and unquantized model, and then the, the model kind of input is slightly different, and it kind of none of it works, and you don't quite know where to be. Um, <laughs> and uh, now we got rid of all of that because the the new TensorFlow-like uh, model format have metadata, so it will basically tell the um, code generation, <coughs> the code generator, uh, how to uh, wrap and how to convert, say, from a bitmap to the uh, to the proper uh, kind of input for the model, and likewise on the out, on the output side, it would basically convert everything into very nicely, easy to use um, kind of. Java and Colin object that we know is like, hey, give me a give me a a map of uh, the the object that you detect and the confidence that you have against each object. It's like that's what I want. I don't want to deal with the the, <laughs> the byte array that come out and then kind of read a text file to uh, to 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 basically have different classes. So it's a it's a really uh, cool kind of tool to use and. Um, and at the moment, it supports uh, a lot of the uh, image uh, related processing, but the team is looking to basically expand that into more use cases. Um, sp- uh, and the way that it works is um, it, uh, it basically look at the uh, the input and output types. Uh, so at the moment, the input and output types that we support are uh, numbers. So if you have a uh, model that is very simple and say, hey, give me 10 number and I'll give you, you know, an answer, then you know we support that. Uh, also, bitmaps um, and 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 image, um, and then in the future, some of the things that the standard already support, but the ML model binding doesn't support at the moment is, for example, um, object detection. This is where the um, in an image, not only do you say, "Hey, here's a dog," but where the dog is in the image, and give you the coordinates. Um, the metadata nice. actually supports that. And there are code generator that on the TensorFlow side can generate those kind of code, but we want to make it super easy to use. So, um, yeah. so look, yeah, look forward to 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 having that in the not too distant future. And the uh, other thing that we are looking at is um, language, um, uh, natural language processing, um, because you know, to give it uh, at the moment, kind of giving it, uh, giving your machine learning model a, a string. It's actually quite hard to do. That there is um, um, maybe lookup on the vocabulary because the, the machine learning color model doesn't accept words; it accepts numbers. Yeah. So you basically yeah. need to kind of map between the, the the string that you have to the number, um, and and sometimes it's not just a single number but a factor because the same word can mean different things, and the machine learning model will try to kind of determine that meaning in the context of your text. Um, so there, there are a little bit of complication um, when using it in uh, Android uh, apps, but yeah, that's another kind of uh, problem that we're hoping to tackle kind of in the not too distant future. Okay, yeah, it actually sounds like um, a lot of the focus is is around making machine learning really, really easy for people to use and making it a lot more accessible. Um, at one, I mean, machine learning at some at one point was like just really hard. Um, like you say, you need like two PhDs to figure out um, the how to like remove backgrounds from an image and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and these days, I think um, 
a lot of the, the products um, that at least Google's offering um, for, for machine learning on mobile, especially, because that was also a hard problem to solve. Um, I think that's becoming a lot easier for a lot more people to use, um, yeah. which is really, really great. Um, and thanks, um, because I think a lot of people have, um, have probably used MLKit at some point, um, and they're probably um, thinking like, oh, I mean, this is just a, this is a quick way. I, I could have written this myself, um, but I would rather just like use this thing. But they don't realize um, uh, uh, all the effort that actually goes into um, getting models to that specific stage. Um, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I also want to add that, you know, uh, by the way, we do love PhDs. So if you are studying a PhD and you are kind of doing those third PhD to, to remove the background, we love you and we couldn't be here without you. Um, and, and at the same time, I we'll also kind of encourage that uh, audience to, um, to check out a new tooling as well. Because when I, um, for example, go to, um, well, when we were still able to go to conferences and, uh, and, and, and I was at the Tensful uh, Dev Summit, a lot of the researchers just don't want to do the boilerplate code. It's like, you know, this is not really... Why they, why they study a PhD for. This is like, you know, they want to go back to the kind of network structure. They want to go yeah. back to, you know, actually, you know, making the model kind of more accurate. Converting a bitmap to a bunch of bioarray, you know, that's not what, they, what they're excited about. So they, yeah. they're also really happy to, to have this kind of tooling to, to help them kind of speed up their research. And uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it's it's definitely kind of win-win, uh, and, and it's not just kind of for uh, uh, kind of for beginners, but you know also the, the the researchers. I think I think appreciate that kind of effort to to make uh, kind of the, the research essentially run faster um, in in those kind of sense. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've I haven't attempted to to do research um, at a research level on machine learning. Um, where people are going into writing papers and stuff. But I can imagine that uh, these like TensorFlow um, and like these PyTorch and all these other frameworks are making it a lot easier um, than to um, write your own neural net from scratch um, every single time you kind of want to, to do something. Um, but uh, uh, something that you mentioned um, previously was around, um, with, within MLKit, you mentioned um, the object detection um, and that there was and that now recently that you're providing a custom, um, the ability to do custom models um, with, with object detection versus previously there was, there was only like a base model yeah. um, that you had. And um, you, you pretty much, if, you, if, it, if there wasn't a label for the thing that you were pointing your camera at, um, it kind of just wouldn't do anything. Um, so this is really, really cool. Can you maybe talk around like um, the process of that? Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we um, so we, with the previous version of MLKit object detection and tracking, we have I think five or six different very coarse, high-level um, uh, filters um, or, or classifiers that, that is bundled, uh, and we also have an option which say, "Hey, no, just don't even try to classify. Just try to you know detect a, the object, the most prominent object, or or maybe the bunch of object on, in the in the image and come back to me, and then I will do the analysis. So this is how previously that that worked. Um, but some of the feedback that we've heard is one, 
um, people, like you said, you know, might have a different category that they want to that, that they want to do. And and some of the categories that we have was kind of home goods and um, and food, and you know, maybe people want other things. Um, the world is a big place, and yeah. uh, and 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 that's kind of one use case. The other use case is actually are uh, you know for for particular merchants their product may not work particularly well with our own identifier because it really depends on uh, our own classifier. It really depends on kind of our, uh, our model kind of and, and what data we put in. And, you know, if they sell a very distinctive uh, kind of design, um, then we may not be able to detect that as best we, uh, you know, as much as they, they thought the API was able to do. So actually, some um, developers they gave us feedback and say I actually switched off that classifier that is that was bundled with uh, the the original object detection and tracking because it wasn't able to detect the clothing that I'm selling, and and it's like oh I didn't realize that you know that that's great feedback we we try to improve our model with kind of with the extra data that you know if you're happy to provide it, um, so so we did some of that. Um, but what the new model is, uh, or, the, or the new ML kit is able to do now, is that you can now do your own image uh, uh, um, uh, classifier and, and feed that into the object detection and tracking. And one of the model that you might want to try is the bird detection uh, model that uh, that is available on TF Hub, and we may get to it, get to it in a bit. Uh, the, the 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 magic of TF Hub um, and um, and and you could just kind of point at a model and say, hey, for these birds, try to detect the bird, and then on top of that, tell me the species of that bird, and that and that was like amazing. And and now yeah. you know, as a developer, not only can you uh, kind of you know create extra categories, but also if the category that we create doesn't work for your particular uh, uh, kind of types of food or you know your your clothing line. Then you can actually train your own model, and then use the same uh, pipeline for tracking because that the tracking bit is really hard. It's like you know when you when you uh, when you detect the object and then as the user move along, that box actually follows that particular object, and that bit is quite hard to perfect. Um, so um, so yeah, I would encourage developers to, to to try it out. Okay, cool. And maybe um, you spoke a little bit about TF Hub. Um, can you maybe elaborate a little bit on that? Sure. Um, so TF Hub uh, is a Tensorflow um, initiative. Uh, it's at tfhub.dev. Um, it's a website where you can find um, our open source model from both Google as well as uh, third-party developers that are happy to open source their model. Um, and at the top, there's a search box, kind of super, super nice to use. On the side, there is also um, a filter for TF Lite. Um, so there, there is, um, if you click on that kind of TF Lite uh, kind of option, then you can see all the mobile optimized model that they have uh, on the side, and you can go through that. Um, one thing to note is that we have also created two collections of models, uh, one for MLKit and one for ML model binding for the model that they both support. Um, for the uh, for the API, so if you go down to those collection, if you select any of those model, then you can use it with either MLKit um, image labeling, 
color model uh, or on the new Android Studio model binding. Uh, maybe I can send you the link afterwards, and then you can, um, yeah, you can share with, with your. Yeah, listener. I'll definitely, I'll definitely put it in the show notes. Um, yeah. I think, I think that would that would help a lot of people to to find some models. Um, um, and that's really really cool um, because I think I think there's there's uh, sometimes you you're looking for a model and you probably will find it like on the internet somewhere and maybe it's in either it's a TensorFlow model. Mm. Um, or it's in in the form of um, like a PyTorch model or Keras model or whatever, um, and you kind of you kind of like well I can't really use this on mobile, um, and I know that TensorFlow provides um, really cool tooling, um, a TensorFlow converter to convert to um, TensorFlow like models. Right. Um, can maybe chat a little bit around um, how that works because I know that's yeah. um, some like a Python tool um, that they that. Um, gets used, and I know you, you can write like four lines of code and it kind of converts it for you, which is pretty right. amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, so like you said, the, the TensorFlow team provide uh, a tool, uh, the TFLi converter, um, that essentially a lot of the things it does is it, it helps you optimize your, um, your model to a model that is optimized for mobile. And, um, and there are... Uh, tools that you can use to basically have a look inside a model and if you um if you if you compare the, the tflight um kind of file compared to the same model file that, that you might use elsewhere you can see that the tflight kind of model is uh is simplified and it's trying to basically use a lot of these supported ops that we have that's also an option to to use expanded set of ops um, for for TF model, if your um, if a particular model architecture uh, demands it, um, at the same time though, I would I would say that unless you are uh, kind of following like a uh, a, a well trodden path of a of a particular flow, the TF light converter is um, maybe not as easy to use, um, you know, for beginners, and we still face the problem of um, whenever we see a really cool model, um, then a bunch of experts actually spend a bit of time to have a look and say, you know, hey, how do we convert that into TFLi? And um, and and in and in uh, this this case, um, a lot of the TensorFlow uh, GDEs um, and uh, are actually working on that and, and basically trying to convert various models that they see that they're cool in research. Uh, for example, with uh, Margaret and Sayak, they um, they converted a model called um, Selfie to Anime. So you can take a picture of uh, a selfie, it. essentially, and then it turns into turn you into cartoon character. Um, and mm -hmm. that model was available on on TensorFlow, but the the full fat kind of TensorFlow, and uh, and then they they managed to convert it into um, into TFLi. Um, at the moment, that process is not straightforward, um, and and we're learning kind of about the the different um, uh, uh, the different kind of impediments, etc., and see you know what we can do to remove those obstacles. But I would say that those are are still kind of pretty difficult at the moment. Um, and you know, don't get disheartened. You know, if you tried it and it didn't work, it's like you know, am I am I not clever enough? It's like no, uh, Hoy have also tried it and it didn't work. Those are uh, uh, there, there's a bunch of uh, kind of experts out there that are sweating kind of over all of this. So, so you are you're in good company. 
That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> okay, awesome. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, some of those toolings are pretty like crazy. You just at sometimes like just command line based, um, or you you're throwing it into um, a Google Colab or something like that, um, and the Google Colab is kind of just like not working, and you just like I don't really know how to debug this <laughs> because yeah. I'm not in an IDE. I don't really have a debugger. Like what is actually going on? Um, and yeah, so I think, I think some of these, some of these things are quite difficult to do. Um, I've tried it once or twice. Um, I've failed once or twice. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I've kind of, I've, I've always looked at um, uh, the kind of the easier way to, to kind of use machine learning um, in applications because at the end of the day, um, I'm technically right now I'm not an ML engineer, so it's not really my focus. Um, I'm just trying to utilize uh, machine learning in mobile because that's what my focus is. Um, so it's really, really awesome that all of these tools um, and, and um, products do exist. Um, and then some, something that I've, I've kind of been looking into um, and we're kind of like going quite deeper into like the whole TensorFlow world. Um, but um, recently I've, I've been looking at more personalization um, in terms of personalization models. And, um, and this is something that I think a lot of, a lot of the time um, people are probably generally sending data, like let's say for Netflix, for instance, they they have everybody's accounts and stuff, and you're watching specific things, and they're kind of recommending stuff to you, um, and that that would be really really great. Um, but if you could kind of like personalize a model on device, um, that would be amazing. Um, but that's also something that's really really difficult. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe we can chat around around personal personalization. Sure. Um, like and even yeah. maybe even just like. Um, I think a lot of people always think about like, how can I train a model on my device? Because machine learning models are really to train them. um, There's a lot of computing power that goes into them. Um, And then people are like, yeah, but I just want to like be able to let my user kind of like um, update the model based on what they want. Um, So that whole personalization process. Yeah. So um, actually, I also want to pick up on the, the collab kind of comment that you made to just for your, for yeah. your listener that may not um, have used it before. So um, with um, a lot of the TensorFlow tooling, it is um, the, the default language, if you, if you like, is in Python and it's also kind of the language that's common for machine learning. And um, you have a couple of ways to do it. So you can, um, you know, just run it on your machine or create a virtual environment in your machine to set up all the kind of packages, et cetera. Um, or another way, which is super easy, is to just go, go to kind of collab, I think, .google.com, uh, C-O-L-A-B, and, um, and they provide an a interactive notebook um, that, uh, that, that you can um, both write things in so that you can you know, document what you're doing, as well as um, having just a box of code that you can just click and run in a in a uh, in a cloud environment somewhere in the Google data center and the uh, the advantage of this is a couple uh, there are a couple of advantages of this is one you don't need to set anything up you can just kind of fire it up and, and go and uh, that was super helpful whenever we are on the road and we're trying to do uh, kind of collab with developers that you don't need to download anything you just 
kind of go to this website and we, we could just go. And, um, and then the other thing that really surprised me is the beefy uh, uh, posting power that it packs. I remember that I was uh, trying out image stylization, which is where um, you, know, you put in an image and you're trying to um, put it into a particular uh, uh, kind of image style. Uh, the, the classic is the Starry Night from Van Gogh and, and, and try to yeah. kind of make yourself into painting, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, image stylization. And I remember that running it, running the code in Colab was faster than my Google workstation. And oh, wow. that was, yeah, and, and that was a lot because the, the amount of GPU memory that those Colab instances have, and it was a lot more than what I have on my local machine. My local machine have a lot of RAM, but it doesn't have a lot of GPU RAM. Um, so uh, VRAM, so that, that's why it kind of ran a lot faster. So even if you have a, a decent uh, laptop or workstation kind of set up, actually give Colab a go. Um, and then see and see what you get. Um, the downside of that is um, because the resource is shared, so the um, a lot of the times the, the instances are recycled. So you need to keep the session alive. Otherwise, um, you just think, oh, I have given up on this session, so I'm just re- going to recycle the, um, the the resource. So if you have, have a really long running job, um, that may not be... Uh, the best thing to do and then there are various hacks to basically keep the session alive which I do not recommend mm-hmm. uh, but so but it's a you know if you're, if you're just starting I think that that may be one of the one of the things that you should try out and and, and see and earlier on I, I mentioned you know you have well-trodden paths where someone had published a code lab notebook and you're just following the different steps then I would say as a developer you should be able to read through that code and just go hey am I able to uh, change some of the parameters. So, for example, going back to uh, the image stylization uh, uh, example, I went through the collab. I have to say that you know I don't uh, understand completely kind of everything that's going on. You know, some of the architecture that were, the choices that they made. However, I do understand image dimensions. So when they say, "Oh, this collab generate a five twelve by five twelve image," and I go. Well, actually, I want something bigger. Then I just change a couple of parameters, and now I'm, you know, one of one zero two four by one zero two four kind of image can be processed. So there, there are maybe some customization that the developer are able to do um, in those kind of instances. Um, so yeah, so but but at the same time, you know, if if you're not going through the well-trodden path and it didn't work, don't be disheartened. You know, it's uh, you you've already done well in terms of kind of taking the, the initiative. So coming back to the other question about personalization and on-device training, um, there's a discipline uh, within machine learning called federated learning that, uh, that may fall into that category. And, um, and, and at the moment, it's, it's actually quite a, a, an active research area. So, so I'm afraid that there is no ML kit for federated <laughs> learning yet. Um, and, uh, but uh, to maybe give you a concrete example of what, how we use it at Google and how we use it um, and, and why the problem is so difficult and, the, and, and, and what we're doing to, to solve those kind of problems. So um, if your uh, listener are using Google Keyboard, one of the things that the team do is trying to improve the prediction 
uh, of the keyboard. But at the same time, we don't want to know your conversation. Um, it comes with a whole bunch of problems, not least of not least of all privacy. It's like, uh, yeah, as Googler, I would not like my conversation to be shared with Google uh, all the time. So, um, so uh, what the team did was that they uh, they created um, a learning framework on the user's device. So as the users type and the and the corrections are done, um, then different users uh, basically learn. Uh, or, or the or the overall model can learn the the the, uh, the, the different uh, user habits that the user might have, or new words that you know that pop up, etc. But at the same time, before that learning is sent back to Google to assimilate into the into the larger model and to basically have a better Google keyboard, kind of come out in the next version. What they do is they add a whole bunch of noise into the result. So you can't backward engineer from one result uh, of what that user have done or what that user have typed, but as you add, you know, add together millions of use, different users' result, um, then you see patterns because the noise is randomly applied, and 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 as a result, you pro, you are protecting the individual user's privacy, but at the same time, you can learn from millions of users. And improve your product, and and that's something that is really important, and and that's what kind of makes it really hard to do is to really um, kind of be certain that you're not leaking uh, 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 private information and confidential information, and that's something that the team have spent a lot of time on, um, and then you know also the infrastructure that comes with it, you know, uploading, downloading. Kind of models, etc., um, and also the learning framework. A lot of the ECs, you know, at the moment pretty custom. Um, there is a section on Tensor uh, on Tensor uh, website uh, called Federate, uh, you know, for Federated Learning, um, and you can uh, look at some of those two sets. We've also published uh, research paper as well as um, a blog posts on Google AI uh, about Federated Learning and some of the um, uh, Kind of concerns that we have, and some of the mitigation strategies that we have uh, put in place uh, for for those kind of concerns, uh, especially around privacy. So, um, so yeah, please do check it out and and let us know. But I I have to say that that, that is still an area of research in progress. <laughs> okay, yeah, because I mean I think I think privacy is quite a, a massive thing um, when it comes to um, machine learning. You don't really want to be sending data for Google to learn like your personalized data um, to to a server um, and I think that's also why um, on device um, on device models are really really great because um, you kind of just so like uh, with the example of like the ml kit um, product you, you're kind of just sending your information on to a, to a specific um, I call it the magic box. Um, the magic box, um, and they, you, you kind of get like this confidence and output, um, and it gives it to you right there. And they obviously making inference a lot faster because you don't have to do any kind of network calls or anything like that. Um, but I mean, yeah, I think privacy is quite a um, um, quite a massive issue um, when it comes to to ML. Um, so it's awesome to hear that you guys are doing like um, really really cool things um, around that, and obviously. It is that it is quite a, a big concern um, um, around the models that you guys are creating for um, users out there. 
Yeah, and um, and it's also some of the um, actually maybe maybe another thing that I forgot to mention earlier uh, about kind of why MLCAD um, is that for some of the um, APIs, even though that they may be open models. Um, so, for example, smart replies, we have actually open uh, that there is an open source model on the um, on, on TensorFlow. So you could actually implement your own smart reply uh, using that open source model. Um, but what we do is we we try to get developer uh, feedback, and um, and and some of the feedback resulted in kind of functional differences and and and, and polish that we've added on top. And and this is um, both a add for MLKit, but also kind of to to mm-hmm. to highlight some of the things that you know how developer might add value on top of open source models. So going back to where we start with kind of smart replies, um, with MLKit, what we, um, in our testing with our partners and also from developer feedback is that, well, hold on, you know, I know smart reply is smart, but in some cases, I don't want you to get involved. So examples mm-hmm. of this may be, you know, let's say if someone has passed away, you don't want the machine learning model to then predict is like, well, hey, it's like, okay, just stay out of the conversation. Just don't give any suggestion at all. And um, and so we have uh, actually a, a on-device sensitive topic detector uh, with MLK oh, wow. to say, this is the, you know, sometimes when you don't get smart reply, it's not because it's, it, it, there's a bug. It's actually a feature that we put in uh, from user feedback. So what the uh, example that I highlight in uh, in my presentation is, you know, if you ask um, Smart Reply for the for its opinion of Brexit, it would actually give you no suggestion. So Brexit is basically person leaving the European Union, and yeah. it's a very controversial political topic, and you don't want the machine learning kind of algorithm to give you any suggestions there. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, this is something that you know maybe. Uh, uh, yeah, as as more developer kind of touches on machine learning, they would then see kind of some of the scenario where where you do need to tune that generic model. You you might think, oh, I'm not adding any value here because I'm just implementing an open source model. But actually, that there is a lot of value for uh, for developer to tune their own uh, experience uh, in in a lot of cases. Yeah, and that's actually really interesting because, I mean, I didn't know that, that it actually does that um, in Smart Reply. Um, and, I mean, I've given a presentation, I actually gave a presentation last night on um, on building ML features um, um, at a meetup. Um, and one of, one of the things that I always say is that ML sometimes doesn't always add value. You kind of have to look at it. Um, you have to look at your scenario, your feature that you're trying to look at, um, you're trying to build, and... And you kind of have to see, like, does this actually add value to the users at the specific time um, with the specific input? Um, and then actually give it um, and then be able to decide, like, should I actually, um, like, tell, tell this user something? And mm. something, some, a, a thing that I actually um, found a few months back was the, the AI and people guideline, um, guidebook. Um, I just randomly came across it um, on the internet one day. Um, and I was like, this is super interesting. Um, and then I, I, I was, I've been reading it. I've been reading it and I'm like, probably like halfway through it. Um, but it's really, really interesting because it's a bunch of like UX guidelines um, on machine learning 
um, how to um, how to build these models, um, how to even like monitor them once they're out in the wild, um, how to prevent bias, um, um, and and all of that. Like I don't know, I don't know if you, um, if you um, yeah, no, I don't any work with that team. Um, yeah. but I mean that that guidebook is amazing. Um, I've just been recommending it to everybody. And I'm like, if you're building machine learning models, like, please read this guidebook because um, it's really, really cool. And I'll definitely link the, the guidebook um, in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but for me, I thought it was something that's great. I don't know if you can if you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah. No. Absolutely. When when you were when you were talking about kind of the these the this user experience side, I was going to say, oh, the people who say I I thought I'm really glad <laughs> yeah. that you you actually brought it up and and you have actually read it. Um, so uh, for your audience, people who say I guidebook is a six chapter uh, uh, kind of guide for um, to help uh, not just engineers but uh, maybe uh, product uh, managers and also UX designers to have a common conversation about implementing uh, machine learning uh, functionality in your mobile apps. And it basically contained a lot of the uh, learnings uh, from Google when we were developing uh, our own machine learning uh, applications. And the first thing they said is, hey, please do not kind of essentially sprinkle some ML magic dust on your app. <laughs> but instead, you know, going back to the first principle of design where, where you go, hey, what are the users' problem? Yeah. Just without thinking about ML, just what are the users' problem? And then go through that list of problems and say, hey, does ML add value, a, a unique value in, 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 in solving those problems? And what you want to kind of concentrate on is the, the high value kind of problems, the typical kind of management consulting chart of the, the, the four quadrant is like high value problem. Mm. And then also mm-hmm. they, they, you know, they, they highlight, you know, if that problem can be solved with a high ML dependency, that's where you want to focus your, your machine learning effort on. And, and that's kind of super helpful. The other two things that I maybe kind of just giving your, 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 your listener a, a taste of that, that guide, the, the other two examples I, I, I highlight uh, I, I would highlight in that guide is one, uh, automation versus augmentation. So this is something that I've always had an intuition of, about, but I couldn't quite describe it. And, and the guidebook actually was perfect because um, a, lot of, a lot of times when, when we first dive into machine learning, we go, hey, here's five steps in the process. Can we automate step two and three using machine learning? And, yeah. and that's perfectly reasonable to do, you know, and, and you may realize a lot of value by doing that, uh, just, just purely automation. Uh, but when, with on-device machine learning in particular, uh, another uh, uh, route kind of opens up, which is what we call augmentation. So in addition to having machine learning, you can also ask the human to do things and give them feedback on, on what they're doing. So, for example, if you train a... Um, image classifier to detect blurry image, then you can just tell the users like, oh, hey, the image is blur, or maybe, you know, maybe that's not the only light, or hey, I'm trying to get you to take a photo of a letter and I couldn't see all the four corners. You can give user that feedback and then the user can move back a little bit maybe and then take another picture. And and so this is where on device machine learning is super powerful because you can give the uh, the user immediate feedback, they can change, and then you can 
basically using both machine plus human, you get better result. And yeah. that's also a happier route because the user feel like they're in control. You know, they you're, you're giving them feedback and they and they're reacting to, to those feedback. Um, so that's 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 maybe one thing I want to highlight. Another thing that I want to highlight is um, again going back to our earlier conversation about with machine learning, it is not uh, it's not sometimes it, well I guess it is deterministic because ultimately it's a bunch of numbers, uh, but yeah. at the same time. You know, even with a highly accurate model, we are still talking about you know ninety x percent. You know, or if you put a human into a job, a human will perform at ninety x percent. And and in those cases, it's like, hey, what do we do with the gap between that ninety x percent to hundred? Because that actually impacts a lot on performance. And one of the examples that we want to highlight is um, a app that Google have produced called Read Aloud. So it teaches children how to read in various languages and uh, and then they will listen back to how the children pronounce the same word and then tell them and give them feedback on you know which one they have uh, uh, got right and which one they have got wrong and of course you know it is it is a probability it is not a hundred percent so there there is um, a, a balance in machine learning what we call uh, accuracy or precision uh, versus recall. So in a uh, high precision um, uh, scenario, you will basically reject some positives yeah. in order to have essentially a very high standard of passing. And then on the other hand, you can have a high recall where you go, hey, I'll be a little bit more forgiving. I know that what I mark as correct may actually be incorrect, but that's yeah. okay. And, and in that particular application, they actually choose high recall. And they, they choose to be more forgiving because if you, if you think about a child's development um, and, and as a human being, you know, when you're teaching your kids or you're teaching your niece or nephew kind of how to read, then you know, when they don't pronounce it completely correctly, you're not going to go, oh, my God, you know, you're wrong, completely wrong. You know, if yeah. they're close to it, you go, yeah, that's, that's pretty good and give them some encouragement. So the... So, so that's where the human side of machine learning kind of really comes in and go, hey, do you, you know, do you, uh, uh, do you aim for high precision or high recall? And in different scenarios, you might choose differently. In this case, we choose high recall. Uh, but let's say if you're in a safety or, you know, medical kind of type or banking type situation, you might choose high precision and, and ask a, a human to review those that you're not sure about. And and that's kind of completely fine. It really depends on the the, the the scenario. And and like I said, you know, this is where kind of the human aspect of designing machine learning kind of comes in. Um, and the guide is totally approachable, not just for yeah. uh, engineers. Uh, it's written for you know uh, the whole team, so that you can common kind of use it to to discuss um, common machine learning problems. It also have worksheets, so. Um, these are not like, you know, university study homework. It's more like um, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of helper things for you to, uh, let's say if you're running a design sprint, you know, related to machine learning, the, the worksheets are really helpful to, to help you to uh, shape the questions that you want to ask uh, around the new functionality. And then, and then hopefully everyone can have a more structured kind of discussion and conversation about the functionality and the choices that you make. 
uh, in your in your machine learning functionality. Okay, that's yeah, that's really really cool. Um, you touched on quite quite a few um, very interesting points, and I didn't know about the um, the the app. I think you said it was read along. Yeah. Um, um, that, that's really really interesting. Um, I would even like to just go and like try it out. But I mean, like, like you mentioned, um, like the precision versus the recall. Um, I think that is an important topic. Um, also, um, just to make sure. Oopsie. <laughs> um, Working from yeah. home. Yay. Working from home. Yay. Well, I had like, um, I don't know, there's this bird in South Africa that they call it the hardy dog. Um, okay. I don't know if you know. And no. it's it looks like a pterodactyl. Um, but they, there's a nest of them like outside of my house. And <laughs> they're like, even through like any kind of soundproofing, I feel like they would just destroy. Um, any kind of sound group because they are so loud. Um, but yeah, um, I think we've covered quite a bit today. Um, I wanted to ask you one random miscellaneous question um, sure. around TensorFlow. Uh, this one is just out of the blue. Um, in terms of, uh, you might not, I don't know if you, you um, would um, have an answer for it, but um, I was playing around last year with TensorFlow for Swift. Um, okay. Which is really, really interesting um, to have TensorFlow being, um, instead of using Python, um, using the Swift programming language, um, which is really, really interesting. Um, played around with it. It was very, very hard. I know it's very still in beta and I think very experimental. Um, but I mean, I think at some point, um, having a nice, um, safe type language like Swift to do machine learning. Um, would be really, really great. Um, but what about Kotlin? Um, is anybody doing anything to get Kotlin um, as a language for ML? Um, maybe JetBrains, maybe you guys, maybe some inside information for our listeners. Um, I know you probably can't say anything if you are. Um, but yeah, I just thought I'd throw that out there just as a random ending. Yeah, I'm afraid I've got I've got nothing to add. But, uh, <laughs> but I think Swift is a, is an interesting or tensorflow for Swift is interesting because um, uh, uh, kind of the upside is there are certain things that are really easy to use in Swift yeah. that are harder to do in Python, and yeah. um, and and so intrinsically the 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 the, the, the language kind of. Uh, uh, I don't know what you, what you call it. The language characteristics makes it interesting to to uh, to, to try out basically different possibilities. Um, at the same time, you know, for um, for your listeners that are not kind of uh, 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 kind of very very experienced in um, in machine learning, the the number of examples in Python is just so. Far outstrip any other language. That um, I find it just really helpful to to start with Python at the beginning, and then yes, of course, you know if you if you are curious about you know other languages and you know how it could be used for machine learning, then TensorFlow does have the TensorFlow for Swift uh, uh, kind of offering there as well. Um, so. Yeah, but at the same time, for beginner, I would, I would strongly suggest that you know people go and check out other people's collab notebook, uh, typically run, uh, you know written in, in Python, um, and uh, yeah, and then give us kind of feedback on you know how we can do better. Okay, awesome. 
Um, well, yeah, thank you so much, Roy, for um, joining me on the show and chatting. I think we've chatted about a lot of things. Um, I think our listeners um, will will definitely be learning a lot more um, than um, I learned a lot today, um, like about a lot of things from you. Um, so thank you, thank so, you much so much for for having um, for having for spending the time. Um, and yeah, hopefully we'll have you on here again soon um, to talk about something new in MLK at some point. Yay! Yes, Yay. absolutely. I'll, I'll show the border agent. It's like I got an invite to South Africa. Listen yeah. to this podcast. Awesome! <laughs> Thank you so much. Excellent. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you for joining us on Talking with Apple's podcast. Cheers. <laughs>